We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And it's Thanksgiving week, baby, and we are recapping the week that was. Week 11 in the NFL. It's, it's funny, Chris. Thanksgiving traditions vary from place to place, from you know, so from person to person, family to family. I'm always interested in finding out regionally what happens. How does one group of people view the holiday? How do they view their meals? Do they have any weird traditions that are outside of anything? Our first guest of the evening, here to talk to us about the fourth place New England Patriots, Christian Simonelli, I know that you are a lasagna-eating SOB on Thanksgiving, aren't you? Lasagna is a very common, like, American-Italian dish, but not an Italian-American dish. You see what I mean? So basically, like, when, uh, you know, The Sopranos was on, uh, for lack of a better term, American-Italians would be called, uh, and it's a derogatory term for Italians, but Wonder Bread Wops. In other words, they eat their sauce from a jar. They don't make their sauce. Okay. But for, but for real Italians, you know, you got to have a good gravy and a good macaroni along with the turkey. So with a bare minimum, you got to have a gravy. And now uh, you can have the meat, whether or not you want to have the meatballs and the sausages. But at a bare minimum, you got to have that gravy and you got to have some type of macaroni with your turkey. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then it's a must-have in the Simonelli family. Absolutely. What's one dish that you have to have, and what's one dish that you could just absolutely fire into the sun? Uh, green bean casserole. You can shoot into the sun and twice around the moon if you want. Hate green beans. Everyone hates absolutely green has beans. no place on Thanksgiving. 
<laughs> they suck. My wife wakes them every year. She's the only one that eats them, and there's always like just one forkful missing, and the whole dish just sits there. <laughs> um, I gotta have, I gotta have um, candied uh, sweet potatoes. So that's I gotta one. have those with you know basically sweet potatoes over marshmallow and maple syrup and brown sugar and all that wonderful stuff. That's my wife can't get enough of it. My mom makes it, and she puts, like, nuts in it. Yep. And it's but, just this thing that you would think Ah, of. okay. She, and she loves it. And then you talk to her about stuffing, and she goes, eh. I go, what do you mean, eh? What do you mean, I sa- the sausage stuffing? <laughs> Are you crazy? I could eat this stuff, like, I, <laughs> I could eat it with three hands. And at the same time, she's over here telling me, meh, I could take it and leave it. In fact, I feel like that's how most Patriots <laughs> fans are with the 2023 Patriots at this point. I could take them or leave them on oh. Sunday. Two and eight. Yeah. And yet somehow you guys have less than 5% odds to have the number one pick. What did you do to botch this? Um, I beat you guys and beat the Jets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really it. Those are the two wins. So, I mean, if that's where we, I mean, that's where we botched it. Um, I'm not as down on like not getting the top two picks because I'm operating in the mindset of there's going to be a new GM in place. There's going to be a new regime in place. And if they have a top five pick that, that regime will know that we need a quarterback and they will be aggressive and make a trade with one of the top two teams to get one of the two quarterbacks. So either Kevin Williams or Drake May. So I'm kind of operating from that. I'm like, just don't blow a top five pick and we should be in decent shape. Um, because a lot of people around here are like, if they don't get one of the top two, forget it. It's, you know, you know, you're going to have to take Marvin Harrison Jr. and then take a gamble on a quarterback in the second round. And I'm like, you can trade in the draft. People know this, right? Like, have you not looked at, like, you know, Miami or Philadelphia or any other dozen teams that have, that have traded up in recent years? You guys drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. and then him going on to be a, just a crap NFL player would be the <laughs> proof positive that it's not – it's not Bilicek's inability to read a receiver. It's actually just him. He is the reverse <laughs> King Midas. Everything he touches turns to crap. At the wide receiver position, sure. Yeah. Because it's not like none of those guys had talent. Nikhil Harry was a very talented wide receiver. Like, they had guys in college. All right. Uh, uh, look, you're hitting a very sore spot on Thanksgiving Eve. Don't make me go nuts on you, please. I like you too much. Don't bring up the Nikhil Harry pick and Sim saying have talent, please. Please. I like you. I want to enjoy my, my, my Thanksgiving tomorrow without having a twitch in my eye. So, you guys have an upcoming game against the Giants. Unfortunately. Now. They're a pathetic football team who came out of nowhere and just exploded all over the commanders. Where do you view this as a fan who's a like, because Chris, I've never rooted. Like, even when the Bills were bad, they weren't a two win team. I've never been in those conversations of being able to have a top (laughs) pick. Are you guys, as a fan base, more leaning towards we need to lose to preserve the draft status, or is there this desire to say, hey, listen, don't lose to the Giants. We have enough bad blood with that organization. Uh, no, this game means nothing. No, lose, lose, lose. Um, play the young guys, maybe make some positive strides 
with them. Um, I don't care who plays quarterback at this point because the team isn't doing anything. So let's see something out of the young guys. And if you win, please, God, no. Hopefully they lose. That's that's sort of the mindset I think of a lot of people around here. Um, definitely my mindset. And, um, you know, like you said last week, you know, they came out of nowhere against the commanders, the Giants, but they also got six turnovers. So I don't think they'll get six turnovers this week. But you hope not. Who knows? But, <laughs> you, well, and a lot of this depends on who is QB1. And right. so this yeah. is the interesting thing about where you guys are as a franchise. I I question whether or not the Patriots even have a plan at this point. And here's why. Let me lay this out for you. You draft Mac Jones in the first round. You pick up Bailey Zappi late in the draft. Mac Jones is your guy right up until he's not. And then all of a sudden last year, Bailey Zappi is taking games away from a healthy Mac Jones. Now you've reached a point where when the game-winning drive is up for grabs, Mac Jones gets benched for Bailey Zappi, who makes the exact same mistake that Mac Jones made. You guys had extended a quarterback. You gave him a contract earlier in this season, and then you cut him for... God knows what reason. Was it Malik Cunningham? Mm-hmm. Never really a quarterback, mostly wide receiver, but yeah, I mean, you could certainly put him in the quarterback prospect category. Yeah. So then what is this depth chart at quarterback? What were they trying to cultivate? Because most teams who don't have a ton of confidence in their starter go out and find mm-hmm. a backup. You look at the Steelers, they have a Mitch Trubisky, right? <laughs> You look at, on the other side of that, you have Jake Browning backing up Joe Burrow because there was no thought in their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the Jet, Kyle Allen is the backup for the Buffalo Bills. Why? Because we are teams that know that our season's goals will not be met <laughs> with a stopgap quarterback. It's just not going to happen. Right. So there's no point in investing any money or assets into that. You're a team that did this thing where you not only drafted two quarterbacks, you maintained them on the roster, you brought in Will Greer, you brought in Malik Cunningham, you extended Malik Cunningham, and then cut him for no reason, and then you benched your first-round draft pick. There just doesn't seem to be a plan here. And that, like if I'm an owner, never mind the fan base, If I'm Robert Kraft and I'm watching a guy who seems to be circling the drain of his NFL career, if I'm watching this dysfunction at the most important position, wouldn't that give you pause on allowing him to continue running your franchise the upcoming season? It's why I wanted Bill gone after last season. I don't think there's another coach in the NFL that could have survived where he did by taking a defensive coordinator and a special teams coach and making them quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. I don't think there's another coach that could have survived it. And that's why I wanted him gone then because it's now been we're on to the fourth season of these head-scratching moves that don't make a whole lot of sense. And years ago, there was a book written, and there was a quote from somebody on the staff, and they said, we could win – Right now, the way that we're winning with a top 15 quarterback because, quote, of the system. It's the longs, it's been a long standing thought that Bill simply doesn't respect the quarterback position, going all the way back to his days in Cleveland with what he did with Bertie Kosa. So that is 
is why all of this we're saying, huh? What? What's he doing? What is that? You just cut your backup quarterback, you go into the season with Mac Jones. On the flip side, when Bill makes a decision about who his guy is, he's very deliberate about it. When Brady took over for, for Bledsoe, and then he got injured going into the uh, going into the Super Bowl against the Rams. Bill came out and said Tom Brady's a star. When Mac won the job from Cam, they cut Cam the next week. Mac was a starter going forward. That was it, no questions. So he's deliberate in that aspect. But now that he's wishy-washy because he doesn't have the guy, this is why you're seeing all this crap, this back and forth. You benched Mac Jones three times this year in games, three times. How do you possibly let him come out and stop this game against the Giants? How do you do it? I hear you talking Don't about this. Don't know how you do it. Chris, all I can think of is my ex, my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Who I know you through. Yep. Where it's like, we break up every 10 months. Why have we been together for four years? How did we get to this place <laughs> where we keep convincing ourselves that this is a good idea? Uh, it's maddening. Yeah. No, tell me about it. I had to go live in an unheated attic because of it. That was my fault. <laughs> like I said, we were just talking off air before we started. Consequences, it like the, the, the you are a product of the consequences of your actions. You choose to <laughs> yeah. do things. You could also choose to do the hard things and make your life better. The Patriots could choose to do like you could stay where you are right now and complain about how difficult it is to find a quarterback and you know things are hard. Or you could do the hard things and start trying to find a new GM. Start trying to find a new head coach. Start trying to find a new quarterback and get your franchise up off the mat. And it just takes the willpower to do it. Do you think that at this point, Robert Kraft has that? It's a great question because I think I think the Krafts and I think particularly Robert struggle with the image of the organization and, and, and maintaining and their business people make no mistake about it. They're business people. And they look at these players at assets and the value of an asset. We took this kid at 15. We're paying him X. Where's the value? You know, we got to stick with this kid through and through, you know, because, you know, we're paying him and top 15 pick all that stuff. Plus, you know, I think Robert has a very hard time because he was a fan first and foremost of looking back and remembering what it was like in 1990 when the team was two and 14. So I don't know if he has, I, I, I think right now he's at the point where it, 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 you know, at two and eight, um, to say, okay, yeah, the season's lost. Like we're done and we should just, you know, see what we, what we have to move forward with. But I think it's very tough for him. I do. I think Jonathan, who eventually is going to take over, Robert's son, is you know younger, obviously, and probably a little bit more would be a little bit more deliberate in that. Now that's not to say that Robert is an irresponsible or anything like that. I think he's the best owner in our four sports here by far. I think he's fantastic. But I think as you get older, and I you know it's harder. And I don't underestimate his tie to Bill. Like I don't. Like I, I don't. I, you know I think there's a very you know special. Uh, bond there, regardless of how the season has gone, he clearly chose Bill over Brady. When it came down to that, he chose Bill. He chose the coach over the quarterback. And I think, you know, even to this day, all these years ago, when he made the trade 
you know, ultimately to give up draft picks to get Bill from the Jets here. You know, I think he's there's still that part of him that, that is, you know, holding on to that. But I don't know how Robert, as the businessman, can look at the past four years and see that this is trending anywhere but downward. And this year just bottomed out. Like I said multiple times in this podcast, I didn't think they were going to be a good team. I figured six, seven wins. Again, <laughs> nobody, nobody saw this coming. I mean, it's it's an incredible thing. And so it'll be interesting to see as we kind of wind this thing down. Like this week, I'm interested to see how they approach the quarterback situation. It's going to tell us a lot about what the coach thinks, what the current staff thinks. I don't know. Eventually, at some point, ownership's going to have to step in and do something. It's going to be fun to watch you guys spiral the drain. Where can everybody follow you on Twitter while you do it? Well, you can watch me. You can watch them spoil the drain and have a few laughs with me on X at Chris with the T I A N. And, um, you know, I will be uh, cheering for those rookies and second year players to play and uh, hopefully maintaining that top five pick. From one team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Team with quarterback problems to another. We roll directly into our spot with the New York Jets, who lost to the Buffalo Bills this weekend. And Mr. Scott Mason, who was there to see it in person with me. And when I say with me, I mean like five feet away from me. At the <laughs> seats. Scott, first of all, did you have fun? Did Princess have a good time? At least with the tailgate. Yeah, no, listen, everything except the game was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I will say, look, the tailgate was great. Everybody, Iman is awesome. I like all the guys in the tailgate. Like, I'm not a big tailgate guy just because uh, you got to get there so early. But like F1 Dave is hilarious. What a maniac! <laughs> I was walking with him into the stadium, and he almost punched a guy out. I don't think he even remembers it because he was so tanked. Poor guy drives up from Pittsburgh, and I don't know if the guy that was like, I don't think the guy was seriously going to get into a fight with him, but. That poor guy would have had no idea what he was getting into because, no. as we know, F. Dave is an absolute killer. He's a competition um, kickboxer. Don't yeah, fight exactly. that. <laughs> like, I'm not afraid of just about anybody. but And, I mean, I'm not afraid of Dave because I know he's a friendly guy. But I'm not fighting Dave. Um, Eric was awesome. Or, as he's known on Twitter, Tyrone Billums. Uh, we've talked a bunch of times on Twitter. It was great to see him. I got to meet Iman. He wasn't there last year. Great cook and an awesome dude. He told me some fun Chad Pennington at Marshall stories. Um, <laughs> Mark was awesome. I didn't really get to talk to him much last year because he had a bunch of guests at the tailgate. But what a great guy he is, too. And whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, he's a good guy. He's not a great guy. Let's. All right. Let's... Okay. Okay. 
He's he's like Derek Carr, good but not. He's not Aaron Rodgers, great. How's he's, that? He's not Aaron Rodgers, great. He's Derek Carr, but yeah, no, it was that was a lot of fun, and we went to Bar Bill, which I mean, we got a hundred wings and brought a bunch home, so that was cool. Damn. So, yeah, well, you know what it is, man. We didn't eat them all at one time, but it's like, well, we're up in Buffalo, so we might as well just get a bunch and bring them back, and then. You know, we'll put them in the air fryer and all that. But Bar Bill was killer as always. By the way, I got to throw this out there. And Drew, I know you won't mind this because you're a partner in the company. But, man, Iman's barbecue stuff is tremendous. It just arrived today. I used it uh, when I cooked. And it his sauce, The I used the Kansas City stuff, the sauce and the seasoning. Yes. It was tremendous. So, Iman, you are the man. Your, your uh, seasoning and your barbecue sauce is phenomenal. And anybody who hasn't tried it yet, go order it. He's got like a twenty percent discount, which I I used. So, uh, but yeah, it was great yeah, guys, up there. Ask, just- ask about the friends and family discount over at q42bbq.com. Yeah, use the promo code Boil. Boil. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No. Oh, by the way, you guys left. So I'm walking out of the stadium. I'm watching on my because at a certain point, it's like okay. I'm going to watch the rest of this on my phone and I'm going to leave and go get Bar Bill. And as I'm walking out, I hear there are two Bills fans behind me. And the one guy goes, yo, man, they put John O'Boyle in the game. I go, Tim Boyle? He's like, who? I'm like, yeah, exactly. So that was, <laughs> that was pretty much summed it all up, Drew. So, so, Scott, obviously I left. I abandoned you. I was like, listen, I stayed right up until the game was comfortably in hand and then said, you know what? I got to go home and see my kids. So I beat feet. I got out of there. It was a fun time. It was a fun way to leave. And I wanted to, like, wait to tell the story for the roundup because I feel like you can appreciate this. So I did the thing most people do. I leave the seats. I get back to the parking lot. Now, I'm I'm literally getting into my truck to leave. And as ill-advised as this may be, I had the thought. I go, you know, I'm pretty sober. I could do with a road soda. Now, obviously, that's the open container is not a laughing matter. It's not. It's frowned upon in most municipalities. But I was like, I'm, I'm so sober leaving this game that I, I could afford one. But then it dawns on me, like, I have to pee so badly that I'm not <laughs> going to make it to the back of this building to where the Portage John is. So I step over into the grassy area in between all these vehicles, and I'm doing what most human beings do in that scenario, where you're like, I've been jogging to the truck. I'm like, oh, my God, I... Uh, and then it subsides, and then it comes back with a vengeance. So I'm doing this, and a gentleman over at Hammer's Lot, who is just sitting under an awning watching the game on a TV next to a fire, like, takes it upon himself as the warden of the Hammer's Lot. Like, first of all, he thinks that I'm, like, I'm, I don't know what he thought, but he comes over and decides to try to accost me while I'm over here. <laughs> And I ended up giving him the Stone Cold Steve Austin treatment where you just shake a beer on someone. How cold was it out there and how uncomfortable was that guy after I left? Yeah, it was pretty cold. <laughs> I would imagine that that didn't feel good. Although it was probably better than getting a Stone Cold Stunner at least. Well, that's it. It's like, listen, I'm a lover, not a fighter at this point in my life. Although that's debatable. Somebody <laughs> took that Stunner and beer, uh, Stone Cold Stunner and beer situation to the Jets quarterback room yeah they took it to the jets quarterback room because right now you guys i mean watching this game offensive line just completely unable to support the offense it's just is it is that probably like because obviously you know the quarterback situation is watching the offensive line unravel the way that it did one of the more frustrating parts of that whole game 
Yeah, Drew, you remember we're sitting there and somebody was down and I'm like, tell me that's not Becton. Yeah. And you're like, it can't be like that. And I, I look and, and the guy the guy in front of us goes, yeah, it's number 77. I go, yeah, it's Becton. And me and you just started laughing because of the absurdity of it. <laughs> They're down to like their fourth stringers and a lot of the, it's it's insane. Uh, the, at one point, Carter Warren came in for Becton and to his credit, Carter Warren, the rookie fourth rounder out of Pittsburgh, to his credit, he did fine considering, but at a certain point, man, this offense is just so bad. Even the guys that are supposed to be special, and they are for the most part, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson are making mistakes. Brees Hall has been dropping passes, had that fumble on Monday night. Garrett Wilson had another fumble. He had a couple of drops in this game. So, look, when your best players are even not quite where they need to be, I think it was – Chris Mano, who used to, who is a receiver at Hofstra, big Jets fan, but also briefly uh, in the NFL. I think he played for the Chiefs and a couple of other teams. He went on a whole rant about this on Twitter, but he was saying, look, Garrett Wilson, hell of a receiver, has a chance to be one of the best in the league, a real elite talent, but he's not quite there yet because the best guys don't do what he's been doing the last couple of weeks. And this is not me criticizing Garrett Wilson like he's a bad player. It's just these are things that people haven't talked about because it's gotten lost in the shuffle of how otherwise bad everything is on that offense. The old line has just been abysmal. And it's funny, there was a stretch very briefly before Elijah Vera Tucker got hurt again where the old line was functioning okay. Max Mitchell was filling in okay. Uh, you had uh, Becton was still in there and, and Elijah Vera Tucker. And then, uh, excuse me, not Max Mitchell. Um, that was when you had Tipman, Connor McGovern, Lakin Tomlinson, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Becton at tackle. And then once Vera Tucker went out, that was like the Jenga piece that took everything else with it. And you saw what happened, man. I mean, look, Shaq Lawson was just <laughs> on that one play with Max Mitchell, just a killer. The Bills were just doing whatever they wanted to that offensive line. And, and at a certain point, you just had to realize the Jets were, were overmatched with that uh, O-line that it has had like 14 different guys starting on it this year. You don't want to make too many excuses, but it is what it is. It really does start to get to a thing, though, where you look at the coaching staff and go, guys, you know what? You know the hand you're dealt, but injuries happen. You still have to look competitive. You can't let that game happen. And I think one of the more frustrating things, both for the players – like, you start to see some of that come to the surface, right? We've talked about what you think about Michael Clemens. And Michael Clemens just being this Terminator-esque figure, just just the way he approaches the game of football, his demeanor, the way he carries himself in the locker room. He gets hammered, and then he draws a personal foul from Deion Dawkins, who clearly has an axe to grind with this guy. Mm-hmm. And then they're fighting in the tunnel, and it has to get broken up by Jordan Phillips, who then goes on to not only talk shit to them directly to their face, but then also trash them on social media, and it goes wild. Like well, these guys are taking L's on the field and also off of them, and it's like that's the type of thing. Like when you watch a guy boil over like that and go after a guy in the tunnel, this is a team that's losing its composure. Slowly well, but surely, it's losing even some of the most focused driven guys are kind of losing that what does that say about the job Sal is doing on trying to keep this thing together well first of all I have to say the funniest part of that story <laughs> and Andy Vasquez who covers the Jets for NJ.com who comes on for all the post game shows 
we had fun talking about this. The security guy, while that was going on, was standing around like jumping up and down trying to block the beat reporter's view of what was happening. <laughs> they were all ready to beat the security guy up because, dude, that's not your job. Your job is to make sure nobody accosts these guys. It's not to try and run cover for what's going on he, in front of you. You're not team. Well, think about it like this, Scott. He probably knew he had a better chance at like getting in between those journalists and the story than he did between getting those in between those football players and each other. Well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> but I don't think any if security I've guard. If I've got to pick a fight, I know which one I'm taking. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that it, the security guard had any illusions of trying to break up that fight, anyways. But yeah, no, I mean, look, it, it becomes frustrating, and you hear the comments. If you're these players, listen, you saw what happened with the defense in this game too. The dam broke. They've been carrying the load for much of the season. This was one of the games. This one and the one against the Cowboys, where the defense was really very disappointing, but. Look, the offense has just been terrible. And Zach Wilson said it at the presser after it was announced that Tim Boyle is going to take over at least temporarily. He said, look, I don't feel like I'm being scapegoated. I didn't get the job done. We weren't scoring points. And that's that's it. They, they've got to make a move because we have to try something different. And he basically said, look, if I played better, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. And that's a, a very mature of him to, to say that attitude to take. Um, but But the reality is, and we've talked about this, we can talk all we want to about Zach Wilson. Everybody knows that he's a bust. Everybody knows that he was a bad pick at number two. Everybody knows that he's a backup quarterback. We all get that. But if you've been watching the Jets and your conclusion is that this offense is bad and it's because of Zach Wilson, look, if you want to try yes. Tim Boyle, fine. If you want to try <laughs> Trevor Simpson, fine. They're, it, you're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. The time to do something was before the season – they could have tried to do something at the deadline even with Josh Jacoby Dobbs. Versus Josh, Josh Dobbs. Dobbs. Now, look, this offense is so bad, I'm not sure that those guys are overcoming that anyway, but it gives you a better chance at least, right? Sure. But, I mean, Robert Sala's quote after the game is, watch the tape. He goes, watch the tape. He almost defended Zach Wilson, even though he had to bench him. He was like, watch the tape. Yeah. He wasn't the only one struggling out there. Look, the, the entire offense, Alan Lazard, I mean, I, I think he signed his contract with a ski mask over his head because he's just been straight up robbing the Jets. I think he's a $12 million cap hit next year, which is absolutely amazing. Ever, anytime you want to complain about Gabe Davis being the number two wide receiver, just Alan remember Lazard. that Alan Lazard makes $12 million a year. Uh, but I think what it, what it comes down to with, with Zach Wilson is – they we saw what happened last year. He was really, really bad. He got benched for Mike White and then Mike White got hurt. And I said at the time and I took a lot of crap for it, but I was right. When Mike White got hurt with the ribs, it should have been Flacco who played and people went nuts on me. And I said, look, it's got to be Flacco. I know everybody thinks Flacco's washed and he is, but who cares with Joe Flacco? He's basically a tackle dummy at this point. If you have any shot of resurrecting Zach Wilson's career ever. You need to not let him play the rest of the year, let him retool, probably sit him for a year behind a veteran, and then maybe, maybe if you're comfortable with it, you give him a chance to compete for a job at some point if you're happy with his progress. Instead, they shoved him back out there. The end result was eventually he ends up getting booed off his own home field a couple days before Christmas on national television, replaced by Chris Strebler, a CFL option quarterback. And then those games were so hard to watch. 
Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. And then knowing this, Drew, this offseason, the Jets said, okay, we've got Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson, we still believe in him. We think he can eventually become something. So what we're going to do is we have a new coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. We're going to sit this kid on the bench. He's going to work with Aaron Rodgers. He's going to work with Nathaniel Hackett. He'll probably have his own private quarterback coaches too, all of that. We're going to let him redshirt for a year or two. We're going to see if he can get to where we need him to get to. And exactly what I said, we'll see. Maybe down the line he competes for a job. He's under contract here. The money's guaranteed. Might as well see what you can do with him. But unfortunately, they put him as the backup quarterback, which a lot of us questioned at the time because we said Aaron Rodgers is 40. And by the way, even if he was 25, you still – it's football. We've seen this. It's very easy to get hurt for the year. That's just how it goes. It's a violent sport. You cannot put this kid in a position where he may have to play if your plan is for him to redshirt and not play. And, of course, what happens? Rodgers gets hurt four plays into the season. Jets fans are having PTSD flashbacks. And and ultimately, I think at this point, Wilson did as well as you could have expected based on how badly it went last year and how little time there was between then and when he had to play again. But also, I think you've now gotten to the point where any chance you might have had of rebuilding him, and I'm not saying he was ever going to be good. Maybe he was never going to be good. But if there was ever a chance, I think it's probably done with, especially here. And you also, by shoving him out there too quickly, wasted any opportunity you might have been able to have to salvage this season with a guy that we, like the type of player we talked about, even a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who could have been had in August. And now this is where you're at. And this is why people are like, oh, how could you not want Zach Wilson benched? And my answer was because the three guys they have, at least Zach Wilson has the potential to make special plays sometimes. The other two guys, they are what they are. I mean, they're just another guy. Jags is the term we use. Exactly. And did you see Nathaniel Hackett's quote when asked about Tim Boyle? It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I'm not going to pull it up, but it was along the lines of they asked him. I think it was Connor Hughes from SNY asked him about Tim Boyle having like a 40 percent completion percentage at whatever school he was at. I can't even remember anymore. It's like UConn or something. And <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett said, that's the thing about stats. There are good stats. There are bad stats. Some stats are good. Some stats are bad. They don't necessarily tell you about players because you could be a good player with bad stats and a bad player with good stats. And it was just like, he's just saying words at this point. I don't even know what he's trying to say. I mean, I will and, say Mel Kuyper did once famously say stats are for losers when he was talking about Josh Allen, and he was right. So maybe that heck is trying to channel something here. But here's what I'll say. I don't he doesn't think have hair anywhere near no. as nice as Mel Kuyper. I don't think that there's a lot here for the Jets. And so this game against Miami that you guys had this week, is a, like, it's a nice change of pace where we're going to see what you guys do differently or how what your approach might be. Maybe Tim Boyle gives you guys a spark. I don't know. I just know that the betting odds are not in favor of your team, and more or less that falls to the coaches. I mean, it's the quarterback's fault, but also the coaches bear a lot of this blame. And it goes back to what we've talked about all season, how dubious I was of them, and just their ability as a unit to get this done. Now, as we let you go lightning round, we've asked everybody tonight, I need your input. Two things, real quick. The one Thanksgiving dish that you have to have, and Hmm. the one Thanksgiving dish that if you could load it into a cannon 
like they do clowns at the circus and fired across a Walmart parking lot, what would it be? I guess uh, cranberries is the one that I would say I can't do without or stuff. Either way, whatever. As far as ones that I would shoot into the sun, it really isn't one that I partake in because usually it's like green beans, stuffing, cranberry sauce, turkey, sweet potato, and then pie for dessert. And I like all that stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I do the basic white girl Thanksgiving. You do like the thing. You're like the, like when they talk about like fall being Han Solo season, it's all these girls in puffy vests and uh, tall boots with black pants. Like that's, that's your Thanksgiving taste. You just picked the most generic Thanksgiving dishes on earth. It's, it's funny you would say it's a white girl Thanksgiving, considering, I mean, and I'm sure you know, but yeah, it, is, it, is, it is. It is very funny, but yeah, no, I guess whatever. I like the classics. You know what? I'm the guy that that goes to the Rolling Stones concert and enjoys hearing Satisfaction, and you can't always get what you want. You know you what I mean? Like the standards. All right, I can appreciate. Play the hits, buddy. Play the hits. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media? Excellent question, Shelton. You can find the show anywhere you download podcasts. You can go to playlikeajet.com, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. I'm at playlikeajet1 on Twitter. By the way, don't forget, not only do you have the Jets on Friday, but you have what's likely a much more entertaining show on Saturday on Peacock, or as I like to call it, The Cock. With WWF Survivor or WWE Survivor Series and the return of the Apex Predator, Randy Orton, who I wish would give an RKO to Tyree Kill on Friday at MetLife Stadium. And listen, if anybody deserves an RKO, I think we can all agree it's Tyree Kill. Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Al Fartiaga in about 15 minutes. The Truth Commission of the, tr- the AFC East commission. Roundup. You're making these up at this point. No, I've right. used that one before. I've I've gone through all of the... you got to go back to the 80s. See, that's the funny thing. I watched more wrestling because that's what... I was literally in a crib watching wrestling. My They used to think it was cute that I was putting my teddy bear in headlocks and like acting like I was coming off the ropes and jumping on him when I was in a in a playpen. Everyone thought that that was cute and that it was funny, and then I started doing it to my brothers. I was just like, ah, here we go. Hey, clothesline. They're like, you can't do that just out around the house. The Truth Commission. Who was in this? Let me, let me see what these goobers look like. Kerrigan. Don Callis was in it. Oh, my God. They look like the, uh, what do you, what do you, Paul Buchanan. What do they call this, uh, what do they call it, the, uh, oh, what, what is it in Philly? Always oh, son in Philadelphia did a spoof on it. The uh, I don't know. They look like army people. This this. Oh my god! Yeah, no, they have berets and tight green t-shirts. This is hilarious. Oh yeah. my god! What a disaster! First, guys, I'm sorry that he compared you to that. I really am. So we're here talking about the Buffalo Bills, and as always, our week twelve rooting interests and the Bills playoff chances. So obviously. You know, we beat up on the New York Jets and we sit at a 24% chance to make the playoffs as of today, according to the New York Times playoff simulator. Now, Chris just opened it and it has a different number 21. What did you do? I didn't do anything. Mine says 24. No, mine says 21%. Chris, I'm going to swivel my laptop towards you and I want the people to see that number. Yeah. Does in fact say 24. 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing over here. It's the New York Times. They make shit up. <laughs> I love you. So, this week, with a win, the Buffalo Bills playoff odds will increase to about 40%. At the same time, if you look at Chris, 40%, see, now you have 36, I have 41. <laughs> as our as our listeners who are watching on YouTube can see, the tape don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> so, as we sit here and we talk about this, the question then becomes: What are the more important, like, what are the more important matchups? Bengals Steelers sticks out as a big one, right? So, if the Steelers win, the Bills will maintain a thirty nine percent chance to make the playoffs, and if the Bengals win. What do you think happens? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it goes down because the Bengals all, have the tiebreaker. Who would you be rooting for in this scenario? Um, the Steelers. We don't play them. We played the Bengals. We lost, so we don't have a head-to-head tiebreaker with them. So I would go, I need the Steelers to win. What would you say if I told you our playoff odds remain exactly the same? That's interesting. It remain exactly the same. Well, the AFC North is the best one in our conference. Yeah. Texans Jaguars. We lost a we lost to one of these teams. Give me Texans. Texans. What do you think happens? Our playoff chances even out between what you have and what I have. You'd be wrong. See, right now the Texans are in the wild card, and their strength of victory, including victories over teams that we have beaten or that have beaten us, that's a problem. (laughs) They need to lose to the Jaguars, or else they're a big problem for us when they catch us inevitably in the latter. A win by the Steelers and a win by the Jaguars moves our playoff odds up to 42%. 42. Dolphins, Jets, obviously I think we know how this one goes, right? Yes. So, you'd think that. If the Dolphins win, our playoff odds are 46%. A loss moves them down to 44. Now, I don't know if this is strength of victory, if it's... I don't know how to describe this. I'm just going by the calculator and what the calculator's results are. Either way, the Jets are going to win. So let's take a look at what else then becomes important. Colts at Buccaneers. Right? You definitely are a Buccaneers fan this weekend, correct? I think you took them and you pick them, or you did not take them. I took the Colts. You took the Colts. Why do you believe the Colts will win this game? They're equal trash, and I believe in a mullet. <laughs> over a guy that gets blown in a Cheesecake Factory parking lot? Here's what I love. We've reached NCAA tournament bracket levels of decision-making when it comes to win, how how Chris is picking his tournament, his uh, his win, his wins and losses every week. He goes, it's like, I remember back in 2008, there was a girl that I was working with in our office who filled out a bracket. Her dad's name was George and her boyfriend's name was Bradley. So she picked Bradley and George Mason University. And they both made, I believe, the Elite Eight. And everyone's bracket got broken except for hers. And it's like, wait, what? 
How did you pick these two teams out of nowhere? She goes, well, they were my boyfriend's name and then my dad's name. And it was like a lot. It's like, this is what you wear, how you're picking your games, Chris. You're like, well, I like that mullet. No, no, no. There's, that mullet will really get things done. There's uh, definitely strategery done in strategery. the way in the way I, I pick games. Wait, 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 wait. George W. Bush on Saturday Night Live strategery? Yes. <laughs> so, Dolphins, they win this game. Browns-Broncos becomes very important. Chris, who Browns. do you think we're rooting for? Browns. Give me the Browns win, because that's what I picked in my pool. Browns win is definitely good for the Buffalo Bills. Helps our playoff chances. You look at the rest of the week, a lot of it's, you know, the rest of it's out of conference stuff. Obviously, I think we want the Giants to beat the Patriots just because that's funny. (laughs) I think it's just funny to see that team beat the Patriots, isn't it? Yeah, I think the Giants will win. I think I picked the Giants. Chargers-Ravens is the big one for me. If the Chargers win... Right, like if the Ravens win, it does that thing where it kind of like it puts them farther out in front, which is in theory a good thing because then you'd have a division winner separating itself from the pack, and the wild card picture kind of clears up. You know, then you're, you're not talking. That's another team where you're not talking about you're not talking about tiebreakers and what you're going to do here. That blah blah blah. A win by the Chargers might stay save Brandon Staley's job, though. And the overall impact on our odds is pretty minimal. It's only like a 2% swing either way, 44 or 46. Now, here's the here's the thing. I, I'm watching you playing with the calculator right now, Chris. Listening to WGR, I have to give credit where it's due, on my driving to work this morning, they mentioned that if every team that was favored from now until the end of the season were to win – the Bills are in the playoffs as a nine as a nine win football team. We are the seven seed. Cool. Now, some I know, but you're basing this off Vegas lines. Vegas lines reflect a lot of things. I guess the question is, how much of an impact does that mean these losses at quarterback have had? Like, how much impact have they had on AFC competition? Joe Burrow not being out. I don't know what the Bengals are this season. I think they're years over, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The Browns having starting a rookie quarterback for the rest of the year, that defense is actually good enough that it might it might steal them a game or two like it did this past weekend. In which case, that hurts us because it throws another team into the mix that we can't control what's already been done. We just have to hope that they falter somewhere along the line. Now... With all of these things going right, and then the Bills beating the Eagles and the Chiefs, now you're in business. Now you're talking about a 63% chance to make the playoffs. I I just feel like, first of all, does anybody else hate that we have to have these conversations? Yeah, it sucks. It sucks being in the hunt. I thought we were done with this. I thought when we drafted uh, Josh Allen, that that was it. We were just done here. Like, hey, we're in. That's it. That's all I need to know. Yeah. Now what? Where do we go from here, Chris? Do we do? Because here's the here's the thing: we don't drink nearly as much as we used to. Back in the drought. Yeah. 
If I have to go back to drought levels of alcoholism, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I mean, well, I've definitely my palate has definitely changed, and I'm not a beer drinker can, at all. Can you imagine if we had to sit down here and you had to fire back cocktails at the same rate you were drinking beer? I'd be dead. Back to well, this is it. We, I would be dead. We would die. Like I wouldn't have a job anymore. Uh, my wife would estrange herself. My kids would start gravitating towards you know characters they've seen on TV as father figures. Like it, it would it would be madness if I had to go back to drought era drinking habits now as a thirty eight year old man. I'm just hoping that the bills don't put us actually back there. Just not yet, man. I'm not ready. Right? Like, let my kids get out of high school first. <laughs> Isn't that the cycle, Chris? Yeah. You get old and you booze. And everyone out there is like, who are you calling old? You're young and you booze. And then you get a family and you stop boozing. And then you try to toe the line or you pick your spots and you do what you got to do. And you get by until they're old enough to where, nah, they don't care if I start boozing a little. Eh, this won't be a problem. And then as they get older and they leave the house, you just come full circle right back to where you started. I think that's like, like it's almost like that game with the bubble in the middle. Do you remember what that was? Trouble? Yeah, yeah. You'd pop the dice and then you'd move your guys and you had to get them all the way around the board and then back to home. Yeah, that's trouble. That's it. It is trouble because I'm not back yet, guys. I'm about halfway. I'm at about 12 o'clock, right? I'm at about 12 o'clock. I'm halfway around the wheel. Do not put me back here. I don't know if I can handle it. So there are your picks. Those are your rooting interests for week 12. Chris, I, I find it almost impossible that everything will break our way. It'll be interesting to see what does and what does not. And so as we wrap the show, as is tradition, we finish with the AFC division leading team. And that would be, at least for this week, your Miami Dolphins. And here to talk to us about his Thanksgiving traditions is Mr. Elf Artiaga. Elf, one dish that you would fire into the sun about Thanksgiving, one thing that you can't do without. Hmm, great one. Uh, one I would get rid of, I hate green bean, I don't mind green beans, but I don't like green bean casserole. And one I can't do without, um, I like corn casserole, but you know, we're, you know, we're Cuban and we're in Miami. So my wife is doing the bird, but my sister is doing some pork, a pork shoulder. Yeah. I gotta have a, there has to be some pork shoulder on the table on Thanksgiving. If not, it's not Thanksgiving. See, that was going to be my other question is, do you guys have any, is there anything weird or like that? What else do you guys get into outside of the standards? That's a great one. I, you know, I, I've heard steaks. I've heard lasagna, you know, that trope. Um, the, it, it's, it's the pork. Like that's gotta be, you know, it's a Hispanic thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And not only that, how, how does she, how does she do it? Oh, it's slow roasted in, in the oven, uh, with, uh, mojo onions. Uh, it's seasoned Cuban style, you know, really, really, really slow for about six hours on about 285 degrees. And then you uncover it for the last five minutes and you brush on salt and olive oil on the skin. So you toast the skin and you turn that into pork rinds. Ooh. Yeah. 
You're killing me. I'm hungry now. So, one thing I will say could cause any Dolphins fan to lose their appetite. What are you guys doing about all these turnovers, huh? Yeah, I know that, right? That's <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Uh, we don't stop turning it over. Uh, we, we were having a discussion the, um, this week. Uh, you know, what's wrong with the Dolphin offense? Well, let's start with. You know, a turnover on downs on the three yard line because we throw, we decide to throw another screen at the three yard line when we're running it effectively to get down there. And then three other turnovers inside the 30 that turn into points for the Raiders. You get rid of all those things. You're back into the thirties and everybody's hunky dory and nobody's complaining on Twitter uh, on Monday. But yeah, they got to clean that up. Like well, that's you look at the that's just something that, that has to be cleaned up. You look at some of the impact it's having on your games. I mean, go back the the only clean game that you guys have played from a turnover perspective this year was your win against Denver, which kind of illustrated when this thing works and there's no mistakes, it, this offense can be a juggernaut. It's all just timing and spacing and the fact that you have rare athletes that can get to a spot where the other team can't. But then you look at like the Giants game that was weird for a minute where you're like, wait, are they actually going to hang around in this? And, but there's three turnovers. You, know, you look at the New England game where New England hung around longer than they should have. There was two turnovers. The loss to the Bills, there was two turnovers. The loss to the Eagles, that turnover was a real cri- – like it came at just the worst possible time in the game, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, score was 24-17. You're driving down. You're at the 28-yard line. You turn it over. Yeah, that's a pretty bad spot. Especially in the fourth quarter where like eight minutes left. So then you go into a game against, you, know, you, you come into this, you're going up against the Raiders who are just, by all accounts, a rudderless team. You know, they had their, <clears throat> they had their day against the Giants, which I think everybody has except for the Bills. Like, we're the only ones who couldn't get our shit together for one week against that team. Those three turnovers, man, all of a sudden it's a one-score game. And you're looking at it going, man, if all we need is a guy to fall down in coverage and knowing that you know you got a guy like uh, Adams out there, like all of this could be very different. Yeah, Raiders played really, really well. They, they have some talent on, on that defensive side of the, the ball. And all those turnovers were extremely consequential. Two was... I'm still not sure because I looked at that that replay a thousand times where Tua's diving for the first down on third down, mm-hmm. and I could swear that his knee is touching the ground, but they say his knee did not touch the ground and he fumbled. So that one turns into a quick three points because our defense sends him out three and out. And then you have Julian Hill, who's making his first career start. He's a rookie. Nice player. But he's a rookie nonetheless, he's making his first career start because Durham Smythe wasn't available. And we start on the two-minute drill. He makes a great catch. It's a 12-yard gain. He fumbles. And that turns into three more points right before the half. And then we open the second half, and we're throwing a YOLO bomb into a safety that's essentially camping out in the, in the end zone as Waddle flattens out his route because Waddle is reading – the secondary correctly. He's reading the safety coverage correctly. He's flattening his route because he sees the safety just completely bailing and the safety just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and Tua throws him deep. And sure enough, he intercepts it. Like, those are just careless. They got to clean those things up. Once they clean those things up, uh, efficiency <clears throat> will return. Well, what and, do you think's driving? And then, and then they can enjoy like, their turnover discrepancy, which the defense is actually giving them as of late. What do you think is the driver of this? Because I think about it, and I go back to last year, where there was all this talk about how 
coming into this year. And I mean, there's evidence there to say that he's changed. But Mike McDaniel, sometimes it's this weird combination of just execution by the players and play calling by your coordinator. To your point, you're in the red zone and you say, hey, we, I know better. I'm going to throw a screen pass and it doesn't work. <laughs> like it's just, it's just a, it's the wrong time in this sequence based on how you've set it up to call that play. You know, if you, maybe you had given them reason to sit back, play off the ball. And then I go back to last year where it's like, well, you didn't have to go for it on fourth down. And if you were going to, you would not intentionally draw up a play from Mike Gusecki, but you did. And that blew up on you. Like, and there, even the play call wasn't a great one because it wasn't a high percentage route. Like, there was just all these things that started to kind of pop up last year. And then this year, you guys came and put most of them to bed out of the gate. And now you're starting to see some of these decisions get made. And it's, I understand you're never going to be able to have perfect execution in terms of the players, especially young players. But at the same time, some of these are kind of fueled by what the play calls are and how they're set up. Would you at least agree with me on that? Absolutely. And it's, and it's a problem. And it's a problem going on two years. Uh, do you guys know who is the worst team in the NFL on third and one, fourth and one? Us. <laughs> no. It's actually the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you know who's the second worst team in the NFL on third and one and fourth and one? The Miami Dolphins. It's the Miami Dolphins. And it's been going on for two years. It ended our season in Buffalo, if you remember, on a, on a, on a fourth and one. I do recall so this. It stands to reason. You have, you have this many good players. You have a good run offense. You know, if you're second in the NFL in rushing in yards and yards per carry, you should be converting more of these. Yeah, yeah, we should be converting many more of these. But for whatever reason, it's an Achilles heel. I don't know if it's play calling, it's execution. I think it's a combination of both. Sure. I think for whatever reason, we have a knack for throwing on third and one more than usual when we should just be running the football on third and one Mm -hmm. with Raheem Mostert. Well, and this sends you down a rabbit hole where you go, you ask the question, so is this our coach? It's one of two things. It's either my coach genuinely believes that his play designs are so good that I can issue the high percentage play, and instead I can just embrace this, hey, we're going to take another shot here because this is what everyone thinks we're going to (laughs) do. Right? Like, Chris was talking to me about his NFL Pick'em League picks, and he goes, sometimes you just, I go, oh, here's one I don't agree with. He goes, well, sometimes you got to zig when everyone else zags. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, I guess, in that format. It's not cool when you're play calling a third and one play in a football game, and you go, I bet you I can trick them. Do you know how often that works in the NFL? It's not often. (laughs) It's not often. So it's either he believes genuinely that he can trick them or it's that he doesn't have enough or at least he believes in that more than he believes in that interior offensive line. Now, how does that how is that rounding out in terms of injuries for you guys as you come off your bye? Well, today is the and mark officially the first time all year that our 53 practice our entire 53 practice which means everybody was in uniform everybody was practicing now is robert hunt coming back is devon achan coming back on sunday we shall see but uh on the interior offensive line 
they're getting a little luck here. Um, Rob Jones seems to be ahead of his schedule, and that's a guy that they they planned on from the beginning, but he's just been battling one knee injury after another. Uh, they just need Robert Robert Hunt back. Without him, you could see the issues that this offensive line can have because uh, I've said this before on, on your show, uh, two is a little bit different. Like um, If you go on PFF right now, Miami has the best tackles in football, the best tackle tandem mm-hmm. in football. Somehow Austin Jackson is the number two rated tackle in football. And Teron Armstead is the number six rated tackle in football. So figure that one out. Now, yeah, Austin Jackson's having a great season, and Teron Armstead is Teron Armstead. But Tua operates a little bit better when he's clean up the middle. He doesn't like he can actually abide bad tackle play. He can't abide bad guard play. Because you get up the middle on Tua, you disrupt him on his face. He's not 6'5". He's not 6'4". He's 6'1". That's what I was going to say is this is the curse of the sh- A, the short quarterback, and B, I think, Chris, if I'm, if I'm not – I don't think I'm wrong in this. I believe if you go back to the Peyton Mannings, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, you could be an amazing quarterback if you don't have above, above average, very much plus athleticism. Pressure in your face immediately is always a problem. That was always the thing you talked about when it came to Tom Brady was A-gap and B-gap pressure. Have to have it or you're not going to beat Tom Brady. <clears throat> Peyton Manning wasn't... I, I mean, Peyton Manning looks like like we're talking about Thanksgiving. If anyone's ever sat around, like I could see Peyton Manning, even when he was playing, sitting around with, a, with an ugly sweater on, playing a game of Scrabble, the same way I could watch him take an NFL snap and go, yeah, that, that seems normal. Like, that, that looks like a guy who should be doing this. Like, the uncle who you see in your kitchen who's scratching his back on the corner of the wall with his gut <laughs> poking out. Like, that's the guy. Like, I could look at Peyton Manning and see that guy. If you are not an elite athlete, pressure in the A and B gap, yeah, that's your kryptonite. Because now your timing's off no matter where you planned on going with the ball. And especially for Miami, which is a very much a timing-based offense, that's wildly disruptive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert Hunt did practice today, and he keeps vowing to everybody, I want to play, I'm going to play. The guy missed his first game as a pro in four years against Kansas City. Okay? So it's not him. It's the coaching staff that's holding him out because – and they're and they're correct. They're saying, look, a, a hamstring injury, you could aggravate that thing, and that thing could, be, could linger for the rest mm-hmm. of the season, and then there goes your all-pro guard. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be extremely cautious with – Robert Hunt, but you can see the difference uh, on the offense, especially in the run game. But really on, on Tua, like he had a good game against the Raiders. He wasn't bad. He had the bad YOLO interception, but 325 and two touchdowns, that's fine. They were the first team to throw for 300 yards against the Raiders this year. So he was fine, but you know they could have been a much, much cleaner. And there was some, some moments in the game, uh, at the end of the game. It's a complete jailbreak up the middle when it's third and four, and uh, he was mic'd up. And you could see, you could hear Tua in the in the in the huddle. I don't know if you guys saw any of this, but you could hear him in the huddle telling everybody, "This is the game right here. It's third and five. We convert this." And he's telling everybody in the in the huddle, "We convert this. We kneel down after." Like he's calling the play after. Mm-hmm. Like he's saying, "Look, we convert <clears throat> this. The next play is a kneel down because we're ending the game." Instead, uh, he gets immediate pressure. He has to roll out and he has to throw the ball away. We punt. And then Ramsey has to have his heroics in the end zone at the end. So it is consequential. Like, 
you know, that is a problem. That is, yeah. they need Robert Hunt back, and if they don't get Robert Hunt back anytime soon, they need guys to play better up the middle. And before we let you go, just real quick, lightning round style, what are your thoughts on this? these rumors about a, a potential new owner for the Miami Dolphins? Well, I know everything about it, if you, if you want to know. Uh, Ken, Ken Griffin's buying a minority stake. He's buying a minority stake in everything. The stadium, F1, Formula One, Miami, uh, the Dolphins. But that pretty much ensures that the franchise will remain in Ross's hands as he's already uh, set up the paperwork with the NFL that Jennifer Ross, who's also a minority owner, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, will take over the team upon Stephen Ross's death. So it's a cash raise for something. I'm not sure what it is. My guess is further improvements around Hard Rock Stadium. Okay. So really, it's just them. This is like a almost like when when you create more stock, and you just sell it, and you go, "Hey, you want to be a minority owner? Just give me some money." Yeah, have you ever <laughs> been? To, have you been to Hard Rock Stadium the last two years? It's like there's construction that's never ending there. Like for whatever reason, it's just never ending. Oh, so it's and, like most of Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, like I was at camp this year, and camp is right next. To, their training facility is right next to the stadium. Like it's right on the stadium grounds. So I was there, and every single day you see the dust come onto the the practice field, and you know they're doing more work, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. They're building a uh, now they built a, a clinic right on the stadium ground. So if somebody tears an ACL or something, mm-hmm. God forbid, you know, all they have to do is just take them in the parking lot because Baptist Health is in there as well. Well, and, so, that's, and that's the thing. Like people talk about the, I think people are starting to see the value. Like, obviously, some of the injuries the Bills have sustained this year, it's obviously some of them you can't help. Trey White's Achilles, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, Matt Milano's unfortunate leg injury because his leg got stuck in the turf. Like, again, nothing you can do about that. But when you look at what the Bills have done from a sports science perspective and you know, building the best, the best rehab and healthcare facilities for their players that they can... It really has made a difference up until like the last year or two in terms of we were a snake bitten franchise for 20 years where every every major contributor that you liked would inevitably be on the street somewhere. Richie Incognito literally got kicked off the Rams one week and then was playing for the Bills the following week. That's how bad our injury situation used to be, where you didn't know who or who was going to play the offensive line for you and where the hell they came from. You, you from one week to the next. You just didn't. know. Uh, we had that. We had that happen to us last year in the playoffs against the Bills. And that's uh, exactly. Lester Cotton was signed off the street on a Friday on a on a Thursday. Yes, and he was suited up on a Saturday. And and this is where I think the smart owners are going to start spending their cash. They're going to say, "Look, if I'm already spending all this money to own a team, why not spend a little bit more and protect my investment in these players and make sure that my guys have the equipment." that they have the rehab facilities, that they get the injury treatment they need, that we can diagnose rapidly any injury they have and give them the best treatment program. That's where owners should now be spending their money because you've kind of – the NFL jumped the shark. They're now the only sports league, I I believe, in the entire world whose TV revenue outpaces their gate. So realistically, asses and seats isn't what's important. Now you need people to tune in and watch. And it's much harder to wrangle them when you're a bad football team with a lot of your key players injured. 
So and we were, also and they also built uh, uh, they're building so many things around Hard Rock Stadium. Have you seen what they did with the F1 garages uh, at Hard Rock Stadium? Yes. Yeah, no, that's That's is, the most genius thing. Like how Buff, Buffalo better do that with their new stadium. Cuz that's the most genius thing I've ever heard of. No, nah, we're not going to do. Listen, we'll be lucky if they can figure out how to get a lip. They're like, "Oh no, guys, we're going to have an awning." Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> one of those rollout fucking what do you call them? The sunsetter? Porch awnings. Yeah. They're gonna be like, oh yeah. Well, by the time we got to the end of this, we realized we ran out of money. So here's your awning. But have you seen what those garages look like at Hard Rock Stadium? Yeah, they're yeah. cool. Uh, you have you have a big screen TV. You have an open bar like that. That's worth it. Okay. You have a steady stream of food. You have a little grill area where you're allowed to grill outside of the garage. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if it's raining, you just <clears throat> walk inside the garage. Yeah. Now, of course, the the fee for one of those garages for a game is like. Twelve thousand dollars. Well, I was gonna say I know a certain uh, I know a certain attorney who I who he could probably swing it. He can hook us up. But yeah, that the, the, the Mark, you hear me? You better get on this. All right, that's your job for Christmas. Chris and I, you, me, Chris, Iman, we're all getting a garage down there for the F one. Elf, obviously, you guys are gonna steamroll this week. So I can't wait to talk to you next week about a game that actually means something. I just hate that we all have to be subjected to this on Black Friday. What yeah. No, no. Next week, next week we do play the the Commanders on the road, and that's that could be I've been telling one. everybody for weeks. Everybody's like, ah, everybody's been you know putting a W by right next to the Commanders' name. I've watched that team play; they're dangerous. Uh, Eric B. Uh, Enemy's and, got those guys flying around. Yeah, any any given week they could show up and they could be absolute garbage. But <laughs> any week they could show up and they could play like they played against the Eagles. You know, they could be extremely dangerous, and they're good on offense. Well, I can't wait to talk about that matchup. For this week, I want to show everybody where they can find you on social media. Well, you can find us where you always find us. Uh, if you want to listen to what we do, uh, all you got to do is just go on Google and just play. Just put three yards per carry. That's the number, three yards per carry. You could get us anywhere you get your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's on Twitter also at the number three yards per carry. Guys, this has been fun. But for another week, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. All right. All done. So.